Welcome to Book to Where Two Guys Tell You About the Books They're Reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Olivia Sneddon. This week's book is the 2013, for the year 2012, Bram Stoker Award-winning The Drowning Girl. Do you know why we're doing a Bram Stoker Award-winning book this month? I'm going to guess that it has something to do with the month of October. Because the state of horror is so goddamn terrible (laughs) right now. I couldn't find one thing that came out last month or this month, you know, other than what we read, which was Stephen King, which wasn't even really horror, that that I could even remotely get interested for for a horror episode. And, dude, seriously, I probably spent around two hours. Yeah, the most horrifying thing is the lack of availability of good horror books, right? Mm-hmm. I had to, I had seems- to go lame. Well, no, but I mean, it, yeah, I got no, but I mean, it's it really seems that way. So, and that's here's the whole thing. There's tons of zombie stuff out there, all current and regular. Um, but just for your regular straight up horror, I mean, I wanted to read something like you know, like the Richard Lehman books I used to read, and there was just nothing even remotely recent. So, listeners, um, you know, if you know of a great horror book that's recent, please um, send us an email, bookpodcast at gmail.com. So the next time this happens, you will be saving me at least two hours. But I thought, hey, this won the Horror Writer Association Bram Stoker Award. So this has got to be it, right? This has got to be the one. It's got to be the one. Yeah. All right. Here's a little bit about um, the author of The Drowning Girl. Caitlin R. Kiernan is the author of nine novels, including Silk, Threshold, Low Red Moon, Murder of Angels, Daughter of Hounds, and The Red Tree. Her award-winning short fiction has been collected in six volumes, including Tales of Pain and Wonder, To Charles Fort with Love, Alabaster, and most recently, A is for Alien. She has also published two volumes of Erotica, Frog Toes, (laughs) and Tentacles, and Tales from the Woeful Platypus. I I honestly don't know if that's Frog Toes and Tentacles is a book. Or if it's Frog Toes, and the other book is called <laughs> Tentacles and Tail. So I don't know. Trained as a vertebrate paleontologist, she currently lives in Providence, Rhode Island. <laughs> I don't know. Looking at the titles of her other books, they're, they seem like they're more prone to be erotica fiction than the two titles that are erotica fiction. Threshold. Sorry. Yeah. So I want to say that as creepily as I could. Threshold. Silk, even. Just silk. Yeah. yeah. Low red moon. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, so. it depends on you know. I don't know. Going on that. I I knew where I was going with that. Just not going to go there. All right. So I hate, I'd hate that. to alienate our American Indian listeners. Oh come on, man! I'm not doing the. Um, <laughs> I'm not doing the most horrible things Livia said in the year in review. We're not doing a year in review this year. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay. So. Good. I can say whatever the hell I want. No one will ever hear it again. <laughs> All right, so before we get too terribly off track, here's a little bit about the book, The Drowning Girl. India Morgan Phelps, imp to her friends, is schizophrenic. Struggling with her perceptions of reality, imp must uncover the truth about her encounters with creatures out of myth or from something far, far stranger. It's a pretty uh, succinct... Um, I didn't pull this. Is that the entire synopsis? It's, it's, that's, tight. it's tight. That's Yeah, that's Amazon. Wow. Amazon, that's all there is, yep. So, um, Yeah, so there's not a whole lot there. <laughs> I picked the um, uh, the book from uh, that one, two sentences, three, <laughs> whatever it is. Um, and uh, what we got was just kind of a really crazy, crazy tale. Yeah, dude. Let's get right in. I mean, like, realistically, at the very beginning of the book, it starts out with um, where the, the narrator is India Morgan Phelps, mm-hmm. imp. Our protagonist, and the, like one of the first things she tells us is that she's, you know, insane. Basically, she admits to being a paranoid schizophrenic, and talks a little bit about her familial history with uh, schizophrenia, and then dives right into a weird kind of duality of stories between, um, like a bunch of stuff having to do with wolves, and then a bunch of stuff having to do with mermaids. That's that's all we're gonna say about this book. It's gonna figure that's the rest it. of Let's it go into quotes. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. So what we have is you know a un- admittedly unreliable narrator in the fact that she tells you she's batshit crazy, and, and that 
possibly only half of her story is true. It's like right from the start. <laughs> so um, that's yeah, kind of one one way to, to get into a story is to really throw your uh, your reader completely off. Um, so yeah, as Rob mentioned, um, you know, kind of kicks off their talking about her mother and grandmother who both committed suicide um, and how she, uh, you know, coped with that and the things she copes with today, which is, you know, some, at least in the beginning, mild schizophrenia, right? I mean, the yeah. beginning, she's not, well, I shouldn't say that because the beginning of the story, it's a look back. So it's in the present day that we're, that she's telling this story in the form of typing it out for herself on a typewriter, no less. Um, so it's kind of weird because at the beginning of the story, she's not nuts, but she's telling us the story from when, after the story is done. It's so going to be a again, tough, tough book to review. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, and in the beginning, so um, it, it's kind of it's nice that, the, and that's kind of one of the things I appreciate about the book is usually with schizophrenia or a history of you know insanity, this is something that the author slash narrator might drop on you as kind of a surprise or a twist at some point throughout the book. Um, but she just dives right into it. She says, you know, like um, I knew even from when I was a you know, small child that I was kind of crazy. <laughs> more or less and um you know like so early on the the doctors were able to prescribe her medication to keep her normal so she had always even though she she knew that there was something different about her been able to control herself and live a essentially pretty normal life even though um like you know it wasn't normal because uh, not only did her grandmother and grandmother both have schizophrenia as well, but they have both committed suicide. And her father was kind of a an evil guy who just kind of, I believe, disappeared early in her life. So um, definitely not an easy life. But um, because they got her on a regimen of medication very early on, at least her early years were as normal as could be expected for the situation. Mm-hmm. So after we get the initial setup from her on her history, she pretty quickly meets um, the new girlfriend, Avalyn, who, um, I say, just Imp is going through someone's stuff on the curb that was evicted, and Avalyn comes over and starts yelling at her, and they strike up a a conversation, and they uh, begin dating. Now, Avalyn is a post-op transsexual. So um, for those of you that don't know what that is, um, Avalyn used to be a boy. And now Abilene is a girl. Did I get that right, Rob? Was that scientifically? <laughs> did I explain it scientifically well enough for everybody? It was so wonderfully stated. Yeah. Used to be a boy, surgery, now a girl. But I mean, in the more deep psychological part of it would be always was a girl, you know, always identified as a girl to herself, but just had a boy, had the boy parts. So had the surgery to make the body match up with how she always felt. <laughs> you started off so great. Then you said to say boy parts. At <laughs> any rate. So Imp and Ablin hit it off. And Ablin basically moves in with Imp immediately, right away. And that's really where, where our story, the, the story she's trying to tell us that Imp is typing out on her typewriter. Um, that's where it really begins. Yeah, so... Um it becomes apparent that even in the more lucid states that this imp character is really weird. Um, just um, kind of that weird uh, intelligence that comes along with, you know, being insane. Like, you know, the type of person that pays too much attention to historical facts or things that are happening in the newspaper. Like, you know, they know more than like the average person cares to pay attention to that type of intelligence. Um, and then just it, it basically goes into a story about um, this is kind of uh, a therapeutic retelling, a personal like a personal kind of cathartic um, retelling of a story um, to try and help her get through something that she went through um, about a girl named Eva, who is kind of the third big character in the book. So Imp tells us, God, it's, the, the book is written, it, it's kind of, I don't know, I guess it's very realistic because it's not told in a very linear fashion. We find out pretty early on that Imp meets Eva Canning twice for the first time. <laughs> so, 
when we actually get into that, the, the, the question becomes, you know, was one real and one fictional? Were they both real? Were they both fictional? And I think it's determined pretty early on by Imp that you know, she pretty much refers to Eva as a ghost and that this is a ghost story. Yeah. Yep. So it's going to be very difficult for us to give you a really solid idea of what happens in the book because, like, it's just difficult to understand fully what happens in the book, I think. but Because <laughs> we have no idea what happened in <laughs> that's, this book. <laughs> exactly. And that's as solid, I think, of a foundation as we can probably give for the plot. And then, realistically, it's just about, like, the shit that happens is is the interesting, interesting part, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. I mean, the story's kind of tied together and some of the things that happen are, are brought together um, from very, very factual, real-life um, things that have happened. So, um, the, you know, the Black Dahlia murder is featured fairly prominently through a good portion of the book, and then there's some paintings that have affected Imp in a way and continue to do so after her encounters with Eva Canning. So there's, it's, there's a lot of truth built into this book from a historic standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, that affects our narrator today, you know, in the, in the modern day. Yeah, and, and the retelling of this story, like I kind of hinted at before, kind of breaks up into two separate parts, and we'll try and keep it as vague as possible so as not to spoil anything, but there's kind of the mermaid side and there's the wolf side. And um, as we mentioned before, Imp says that she met Eva for the first time twice. And one time kind of leans toward the mermaid side of things, and the other time leads towards the werewolf or wolf, not werewolf necessarily, but wolf type mm-hmm. side of things. And much like Olivia said with the Black Dahlia and paintings and art and stuff like that, um, real, I mean, the whole story, so like the mermaid side focuses a lot on historical, like, any type of arts and culture type stuff, paintings and old poems and, you know, stuff like that that has to do with, uh, and then historical, like, newspaper articles and folklore about, you know, things that have happened that are creepy or scary and things, you know, like, um, <sighs> shit, like, even talking about local myths about uh, being lured into a river and drowning, like, those types of things. So, um, the story of Imp meeting Eva is told through kind of like a really, I'm struggling trying to explain it, but like it's kind of woven in with all this like thoughts about these historical things and these myths and these, this arts and cultures and stuff. So, I mean, it takes a lot of time and there's a lot of information that gets packed in there. Uh, And instead of just being a story about, Oh, I met a girl and this is what happened kind of thing. Yeah, and for a pretty big story, there are a uh, surprisingly few um, cast members. So we talked about Imp, Abilene, Eva. The only other character that that's actually in this story for more than you know just a, a passing paragraph or two um, is her psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, they they he, you know she has a she gets a phone call or two from her boss, you know. But I mean, these are people that are not at all you know an integral part of the story, and, and the psychiatrist is integral, obviously, because we see more of imp's progression in her therapy through the eyes of the psychiatrist so to speak Mm -hmm. but yeah basically there's four chicks in the story (laughs) it's pretty true (laughs) yeah it's definitely um there's um and and really the only time that male characters even come up are um imp and ambulin both kind of had shitty fathers one you know maybe more than the other but they both have very bad associations with their fathers and then um various artists and sculptors and things like that that are mentioned um throughout the book but all but all who are kind of not nice or kind of even borderline sadistic people who whose art evokes kind of terrifying things as well so males with the exception of abilene who you know at one point was a dude are very much portrayed in a negative way yep absolutely one other thing to mention I don't know if I've ever read a book that that included two complete short stories inside the inside the book that weren't you know told just as a it's the word I'm looking for 
you know, it's like a cautionary tale. There are mm-hmm. two full, fairly lengthy short stories inside this story. Not like, yeah, exactly. Not like a fable or something, but an right, actual, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, straight up. Here's a short story I wrote. There's Which, a short story. Um, yeah, and the the interesting thing about those two stories is that um, they, in some way, because they're written by Imp, um, tie in either tie in with the stories being told or are kind of a metaphor for the situation overall which is is interesting too but they're entirely i mean you could read them like you could open up a, a, a the book the anthology and if it was in there you would think it was just another story that had not you know that stands fully on its own it's pretty cool mm-hmm. it was oh, uh, plug it, there in there it was definitely yeah <laughs> that was very nice uh yeah it was definitely interesting um i don't know necessarily that for me it added to the story very much right so um, but but where in my opinion this book kind of shines are in some of its its concepts and things it addresses. So um, you know we talked about paranoid schizophrenia. I think she did a great job of portraying um, Imp, you know, as kind of a nut job, like an intelligent woman. But some of the you know the ideas and stuff running through her head seem to me not being crazy. Um, probably a, a good a good you know, representation of what someone might go through if they were schizophrenic. Um, you know, I said we have a story told by a very unreliable narrator from her own mouth. But then the two concepts that I really, really liked here were she can constantly addresses truth versus fact, which I thought was just kind of a, a fascinating thing because I think in our everyday life we kind of treat those the same, but they're clearly not. Elaborate, sir. So, I actually did some research outside of this book, even though I kind of got the gist of, of what she was saying, but um, I, I don't know what website I was on. But uh, basically, facts are, are just objective matters. There's, there's no two ways about it. It's things that exist. And one of the things they had said was, um, <clears throat> like, for example, a fact would be um, like where or when something happened. Mm-hmm. Okay, why could go either way? That could be truth, or it could be fact. I see. Do you follow what I'm saying? You know, yeah. and and how and and what you know are are also dependent on who's viewing them. So, fact today is you know um, Saturday. That's fact. If you're here in, in in Chicago, at least you know in the United States, it's Saturday. You know what? But what we're doing could be described as truth because my view of this review could be very different from yours. One could be fact one could be truth so what she deals with is she obviously has met eva twice and she treats them you know and the concept in the book is that one time was factual and when the other time was true Mm -hmm. so basically true is is perceptive it's your perception of something that happened versus it actually happening but i've never heard anyone actually address that but when i did a search numerous websites have covered fact versus truth it's kind of fascinating stuff there it's interesting too. I mean, I think it makes sense to have it um, when something like um, like mental illnesses are, are part of the book. Because, I mean, to to a character, to a person who's you know uh, prone to like based on their condition have hallucinations or, or or things like that, the the landscape of memory is not as reliable as as, as it would be <laughs> otherwise. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> A memory that you have may never have happened, or it might be something that you read a long time ago that your mind just assimilated into being a memory of yours. So to you, it's a truth. Uh, it's just not fact, like that type of thing, right? Exactly. Right. So um, your mind could just completely fabricate things, or you could assimilate things you heard other places, and uh, yeah. So, and then it actually kind of worked on you as the reader as well because. I mean, based on just the the way the book is written, we know that because the the, the narrator is telling us she's not reliable, we have to just kind of take everything as potentially fact because we don't know what is or is not. So <laughs> it kind of works truth versus fact on just like how you take in the information as a reader um, as well as, you know, how it affected the characters. Yep. It was pretty interesting. 
Yeah, like I said, there's some very interesting interesting stuff in, in here that uh, the other one I want to talk about was memes. And you know what? I, she started talking about memes. I was like, great, on the next page is going to be some kind of cartoon with something clever <laughs> or funny on it, and it never <laughs> happened. So, Right, but the idea of, and I guess, I can't remember who, it's almost worth it to like pause to go do the research, but um, the meme as we know it is, is far different than what it was originally created or intended to be um, when, when meme was first created as a word. Well, the, the, the meme, according to Wikipedia, um, a meme is an idea, behavior, or style that spreads from person to person within a culture. Yeah. It's not necessarily a funny picture. It's not necessarily, yeah. <laughs> it's not a horse looking out a window with the word soon underneath <laughs> With the word it. soon. Yeah. Although that definitely is a meme. Um, <laughs> as much as I love... <laughs> As much as I love those pictures, especially, and it's kind of funny now that you mentioned it because that the whole thing started with this is horror, and we're talking about um, definitely a horror book. But anyway, um, in in the in the in this story, when she mentions memes, she means it in that kind of more um, pure definition where it's um, it's just an idea that passes from person to person. But she talks about. Um, there's this whole thing that she has about when someone makes a work of art, whether it's something someone writes or a painting or a song, um, they're trying to, you know, get their ghost out of them or they're haunting, like they're haunted mm-hmm. and they're trying to get it out of them. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, this is their way to get it out. But when other people see it, that haunting transfers onto them. So that's kind of like the spirit of what she, like one of the ways that she was talking about memes, which I thought was just really interesting because I mean yeah I mean that's really what especially like horror stuff kind of is you know it's like a haunting that passes from one person to another mm-hmm. well and interestingly enough and we mentioned real life scenarios that, that um, Kiernan it brings up in this book and there's two that, that are um, you know one that I was I think pretty sure I was aware of the other one that I was very familiar with because I just listened to a Freakonomics podcast that addressed it just a few weeks ago but um, the suicide forest in Japan. Is that correct? Was it in Japan? Yeah. Yeah. Basically, it was a forest where um, a, a, an author placed two of his, his lovers and they committed suicide. And shortly thereafter, people started killing themselves there frequently. And at some point, she quotes in the book something like one, one year it was like 50-something people. Um, something I looked up on the internet about said as recently as like 2010, there were like 11 suicides there. Mm-hmm. that's become a place to kill yourself based on somebody's, you know, uh, writing it in a book, which is basically the definition of, of meme. The true definition is that it's just passed on from one person to another person within a culture. And in this, it was um, a book is what, what carried that idea that transmitted it from one person to another. Yeah. The other one that was really interesting and that I had become actually fairly familiar with, I read something about it online, then I happened to stumble across a Freakonomics podcast that addressed um, what's called the Suicide Song, which was a Hungarian song that's called uh, Gloomy Sunday in Hungarian. <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> that, you know, apparently more people have committed suicide to this song than anybody, than any other song, you know, including anything recent by Miley Cyrus. Um <laughs> You know, so I like that wrecking ball song. Yeah, that's yeah. You like the video is what you meant. Um, so yeah, so this this happened, and one person killed themselves and left it, you know, playing on the record player or whatever. And now more people are doing it, or over the course of the last, you know, whatever seventy years since it was published, have been doing this. Um, you know, another thing they mentioned again, not in this book, but you know, the same podcast I listened to. There was a study done that when someone famous killed themselves, the suicide rate would go up, and the number by which it went up was typically in the same manner that that person killed themselves. So uh, apparently, we're very <laughs> susceptible to the types of things that she talks about in this in this book as people. I mean, and then and that occurs not just with like killing yourself, but with anything in life. Um, um, a great example I can think of was I read an article not too long ago within the last few years about um, <laughs> this is so sad but it's kind of, it just it just really pisses me off but, um, in California especially but all over the country 
um, animal shelters being filled with um, like chihuahuas and other small dogs because there was um, that time where Paris Hilton would walk around with that stupid purse dog mm-hmm. and then everybody wanted to get a dog like that but then the, the novelty wore off and they just abandoned these dogs in shelters. So, I mean, stuff like that as well, which that just pisses me off because it's like, you know, so irresponsible. But I am guilty of those things too because I am actually in the process of having a wrecking ball installed in my apartment. So Nice. Are you going to be swinging from it naked? I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's going to go on the book to YouTube channel, me swinging around on a wrecking ball. Um, but I, I would have to say that I think the, the the slight difference between your wrecking ball and um, buying a chihuahua and people actually killing themselves, like there's, a, there's a degree of extreme, you know, that, that, that you go up in the, in the suicide thing. But, you know, and then I think the same thing, the same thing probably applies to, you know, when someone tells you a place is haunted and they've seen something, you know, people are more likely to then also see or hear something or interpret what they see or hear as a haunting Versus yeah. than just a weird noise somewhere or, you know, something weird that they saw that they can't explain. Here's Incidentally, something. the guy who did write that song did commit suicide. Oh, good. <laughs> Here's something that's always bothered me that I, I could just be totally off, and I hope that maybe one of our listeners is smarter than me or possibly you if you don't have an explanation for me. Mm-hmm. Tourette's. Um, the whole Tourette's syndrome thing where you in, involuntarily just shout obscenities. Mm-hmm. Why is it obscenities? Like, how, you know, if it's like a, if, you know, like a chemical imbalance or, or something or a mental illness, how does it know? How do you, how does your brain know to like just use the bad words? And like, if we made up a whole bunch of new bad words, would those be the ones that we're using to, that's the thing I don't understand. That's interesting. Well, here's my thought on it. If I could actually just randomly shout out whatever I want, it wouldn't <laughs> be fun to shout out anything that wasn't profanity. Well, right, but then it's more. It's. I mean, I mean like I, I'm just kidding. Yes, that is weird, and I've actually wondered that too. Why it's always profanity? Yeah, why is it always profanity? And I'm assuming it has to like. It's not just in the United States. So someone in France is shouting French obscenities, right? Um, I, I believe so. I, I don't know. Maybe they don't have Tourette's in France. <laughs> like white it sounds people, like such like a French white word, people don't get sickle cell anemia. What's that? Like white people don't get sickle cell anemia. It's in the French DNA, but I have to imagine that the word Tourette's is French. It's probably named after a person, though, so I don't know. Anyway, kind of wandering off the topic here a little bit. A little bit. At any rate, some of that type of stuff I found absolutely fascinating, even if I wasn't, um, you know, in love with the story itself. Um, Let's talk about something that hasn't really come up yet, but... um, because there's so many interesting things and weird things going on in the book, but it's a Stoker Award winner, right? So that means it's like a horror story. So yeah, the Stoker Award is is uh, selected every year by the Horror Writers Association, um, which is interesting because at no point did I really think this story was was at all a horror story. Really? Yeah. Well, let's look at back at some of the. <laughs> I wish I I wish I had the patience and the time to go back and do a retrospective of things you didn't realize were horror. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. Um, <laughs> the Rob Zombie movies, House of a Thousand Corpses, and The Devil's Rejects being top on the list. I remember you saying. Yeah. Well, those um, are fun. Those are those are nice family dramas. Family dra- <laughs> with murder and cheerleaders in cages. Yeah. Um. Sometimes they run. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. <laughs> oh god! All right, fair enough. Uh, but I mean, it was it was creepy? There was definitely some parts in the book that were pretty goddamn scary, if you ask me. Here's the only creepy part in the whole book, as far as I'm concerned. She tells another like fable-like story. I, I don't remember what it was, but about um. The person being pulled under the water. You know what I'm talking about when she walks out into the water? Yeah. And something grabs her legs and pulls her down under the water? Mm-hmm. That creeped me out a little bit. But it was like a paragraph in a 350-page book. All right. And it um, wasn't the story. It wasn't part of the actual... You know what I mean? It was her talking about sea creatures, in essence, or something that was under the water. 
I, I, I think you're just desensitized. There was definitely, there was definitely a handful of moments I thought were pretty creepy, and um, one of the ones that I thought was particularly effective was um, it was one of those kind of more historical moments where she's talking about a painter, um, uh, and actually it was not of the painting that she was talking about, but the painter's correspondence with um, I think a, a loved one or something. Where he was talking about um, waking up in the middle of the night and walking to, or he had a dream of waking up. I don't remember, but like going to a window and it's snowing and there's just this woman in red standing barefoot in the snow, and like just being terrified when he looked up at her and she gave him like a smile. But something about the smile was horrifying. I don't know. That was just creepy as hell, if you ask me. Stuff like that when people retell like freaky dreams, that really gets to me. So we're going to differ on, on, on how much horror this was because I really, through the course of the book, I honestly kept going back to the point that you know that, that we kind of started talking about here was that this is the Bram Stoker award-winning novel for this year, mm-hmm. and I was a little confused by by that. Just even the you know if Eva Canning was a ghost or not, or if one of the encounters was a ghost and the others were whatever whatever winds up happening in this book at the end. I just didn't feel that. I mean, it was the the horror for me was more of a of a you know of a drama type, which is this poor girl and living inside her head where she's fairly certain that these things happened. You know, to the point, mm-hmm. and, and I guess, and I don't think this is going to spoil anything for anybody because we're pretty clear she has no idea what happened. But her and Abelin, Abelin at one point takes off in this book, but. Imp still thinks that Abelin was around and left after the second time she meets Eva. Right. You know what I mean? So, I mean, her whole concept of reality is twisted, not just in the fact that she thinks she met this girl a second time, but that she was at a different point in her life. Like, all of the things around her are different, if that makes any kind of sense, without saying too much, you know, about the story. So, in some ways, as nuts as she was, was a little scary, but I wouldn't consider that horror. I would consider that more drama like psychological thriller kind of i don't even know if thriller is the right word wow definitely psychological well i mean maybe thriller because thriller is kind of like an edgier seed kind of thing i guess guess yeah yeah um i don't know dude i felt the horror and especially in the way that she analyzed um um fairy tales kind of in their original incarnation before they were kind of Mm -hmm. dumbed down and watered down by the by disney right um and how that was um i guess analogous of 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 the stories that she was telling with Eva and all that stuff the, I mean not that it was scary but just those types i mean there was definitely depictions of of dark stuff and and mm-hmm. s- what's supposed to be scary or frightful stuff um frequently throughout the book so i can see where it would qualify um it wasn't as scary as you know, maybe it could have been, but you again. I think you are definitely desensitized to. And you know, <laughs> and as, as you're talking, I I don't. So, I don't disagree with much of what you've said, um, but here's kind of where I take issue with it. She talks about this other story, and I don't remember if it was true or not, but about this person allegedly being pulled under the water. And I started thinking, man, it's really scary because when you go in the water, you can't see anything below your waist or your your chest or however far you are in the water. And that kind of creeped me out a little bit when I really started thinking about it. You're talking about fairy tales, which aren't a part of this story. It's her relaying back mm-hmm. something that's that's historical, you know, it's someone else wrote. You talked about the painter in his dream. I'm not really sure if that correspondence actually existed from that painter or if that was part of the story. But again, not necessarily part of her story. It seems like the things that she did that I found the most interesting were nonfiction. Does that make sense? I mean, obviously fairy tales are fiction, but she's relating true fairy tales that were written that weren't created by the author and aren't necessarily part of the story other than to create a feel around the story. Right. Well, I, I guess I could see why that would be yeah. weird. But I mean, that was kind of the entire spirit of the book was it was well, an otherwise mundane, yeah. crazy person's life that was made freaky mm-hmm. by, you know. Because I guess the question is, would we have said, OK, well, you know, it was really scary. But instead of using fairy tales, she talked about great moments from Stephen King books. And then, you know, instead of talking about 
um, these these memes of people suicide memes basically if she was you know talking about different movies that were really scary you know does that make the story well, horror or is it a story where she talks about horror but it's well, not well I think that's the yeah. thing that's compelling about it is like that is what fed into her insanity to make the existence she was living in truly frightening mm-hmm. was like the the that outer stimuli was was feeding into the worst parts of of her illness and causing her to experience everything as if it was somewhat of a reality that's fair so but anyway I just, yeah yeah i just yeah i i've struggled with this what do you remember the message i sent you when i finished the book yeah like i uh yeah it said basically some longs like i finished this book and i refuse to talk about it before we do the podcast yeah exactly <laughs> Because I went so back and forth with this book for the very reasons we're talking about. I think there was some great stuff. I don't know how much of that was actually part, you know, truly part of, of, of the story that, you know, that Imp was putting down versus, like, things that Imp knew about. So, I, I don't know. But it's going to be interesting to see. I get the feeling we're going to split a little bit on this rating. Yeah, I think I think we might. Yeah. Um, do you want to move on to some quotes? Absolutely. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to do some quotes because... Um, Here's one thing that I think we're both going to agree on is that she can fucking write like nobody's goddamn business. Yeah. Here's one that's really long, but I think for me, um, I don't know, again, I guess felt pretty real from someone who maybe is schizophrenic and, and knows it because that's the other key. She talks about knowing that she's crazy. And, and one of the things that I meant to say when you were talking about, you know, there's other schizophrenic books, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, a lot of times it's not just that there's a twist in them, it's that the person who's schizophrenic doesn't know they're schizophrenic mm-hmm. so it's a very different look when you're narrator she knows so maybe i have the drugs to thank for this or maybe i have my painting to thank or maybe it's my paintings and the fact that my girlfriend puts up with my weird shit and makes sure that i take the pills and is great in the sack maybe my mother would have stuck around a little longer if she'd gotten laid now and then as far as i know no one has ever proposed sex therapy as a treatment for schizophrenia but at least fucking doesn't make me constipated or make my hands shake thank you mr risperdal or cause weight gain fatigue and acne thank you so much mr depacking I think of all my pills as male, a fact I have not yet disclosed to my psychiatrist. I have a feeling she might feel compelled to make something troublesome of it, especially since she already knows about my how daddy should die list. (laughs) That how daddy should die list was really creepy in a way, by the way. Mm -hmm. Yep. After her father left, um, left the family at some point, she started keeping a notebook full of ways she wishes he would die. And she mentions a few of them through the course of the book. Yeah, I don't know if I, I I didn't have one of those. Maybe I should have. <laughs> Good Just All right. Um, I apologize in advance. <laughs> the bar across the street apparently something just started happening, so I might have to do a little dueling microphones with the uh, the MC across the street. Can you hear it, Livius? Mm-hmm. Just All a right. little bit in the background. It, it adds to the ambiance of, of this episode. Ambiance, that's right. It's production value we couldn't get otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, first quote, just toward the beginning of the book. This kind of caught me. This kind of reeled me into just the the writing style. Um, and uh, it's just, it's the it's the, it's imp as the narrator reflecting on writing a beginning to something. Um, no story has a beginning, and no story has an end. Beginnings and endings may be conceived to serve a purpose, to serve a momentary and transient intent, but they are, in their fundamental nature, arbitrary and exist solely as a convenient construct in the mind of a man, of man. Lives are messy, and when we set out to relate them, or parts of them, we cannot ever discern precise and objective moments when any given event began. All beginnings are arbitrary. Very true and very well put. Yeah. All right, uh, there's no setup needed here. It seems so much like a window that an 11-year-old girl tries to reach through it to the other side, but the unfortunate thing about windows is most of them work both ways. They allow you to look out, but they also allow anything else that happens past to look in. Oh, I have a perfect follow-up to that. Um, Like, I think the next line is, it was no less beautiful or remarkable for having turned out not to be a window, which I thought was just a great way of stating that. There you go. It's like reading uh, this old house. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. 
Here's one that I have, and this is something that I'm glad the the narrator addressed, because there are times in stories where it strikes me, and I realize that it has to be written and it's a book, but I don't think I've ever had a narrator address something like this. But I have no idea what we said to each other. I don't think anyone could write that scene and not lie. Recollections of a conversation that happened two and a half years ago. Yeah. Like yeah, that. in books and stories, people are always like, when I was four, I heard my parents, and like, there's like a verbatim conversation that happens, and you're like, no, you, know it. you have no way of remembering that. And you're like, yeah, bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> you don't remember that? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I got it. Can I, I'm just going to throw out a couple quick ones. Sure. Um, this is actually talking about the thing I was saying before when we were talking about memes. Too often, people make the mistake of trying to use their art to capture a ghost, but only end up spreading their haunting to countless other people. Mm-hmm. And then, um, at one point, the, the, the narrator is just kind of reflecting on the idea of innocence. And this is the quote Of course, I've never actually met an innocent person. Everyone hurts someone eventually, no matter how hard they try not to be hurtful. My mother, she hurt me by getting knocked up by my asshole father. Yep. I so harsh, that. man. Yeah. The writing is, is really, really solid. Um, I mean, I have pages and pages of quotes. Um, here's one that I specifically bookmarked um, to address the fact versus truth thing. Telling this ghost story, I'm beginning to think of facts and truth like bricks and mortar, only I'm not sure which is which. The facts are probably the bricks, with truth being the mortar that holds it all together. I like the sound of that, so I'll consider it a provisional truth. I've got one that kind of... Um doesn't reinforce that but it's a similar thought i think most people fail to see how little difference there is between imagination and hallucination like that one mm-hmm. so i have more quotes i actually have a note in here and it's something i want to address with you did you have trouble with once in a while um throughout the course of this book and it's it's kind of randomly placed but, but far enough apart that it's you know i have six or seven times and you kind of evenly spaced throughout the book she pulls away from what's being typed because it's like we're reading this manuscript almost through the course of the book and she'll pull back and say something like she stopped and looked at what she'd written and then it goes back into her typing mm-hmm. but it's not enough that it's so it, it's almost like there's an omniscient narrator in the background right? but he or she only chooses to drop maybe 75 words through the course of the book I mean, you got to remember, it's a, it's an insane person. There's times where, like, she's talking to herself as the narrator as well. Like, mm-hmm. telling herself to not be, you know, or asking herself what happens next or telling herself not to lie about what happens next. Yeah, it was just very weird. In the first couple times, it really took me out of the story because I started being very confused about what was happening. Right. You know, so. Um, back to quotes. Um, I got literally. One. Okay, go ahead. This is something that she's talking about fear. This is later on in the book, and I really dug this quote. Um, It's just kind of reflecting on fear in general and the the known versus the unknown. It isn't the known we fear most. The known, no matter how horrible or perilous to life and limb, is something we can wrap our brains around. We can always respond to the known. We can draw plans against it. We can learn its weaknesses and defeat it. We can recover from its assaults. So simple a thing as a bullet might suffice. But the unknown, it slips through our fingers as insubstantial as fog. It's good stuff. Indeed it is. All right, so this might be... I I may take that back. There may have been another moment that, that creeped me out a little bit. And it's just this... I don't know, is this like nine words? And so this is the night I meet Eva Canning. The first night I meet her for the first time, I mean. The second part is what I figured I had to throw in that predecessor. But yeah, the first night I meet her for the first time, I mean. That creeped me out a little bit. Yeah, that is a little weird. Mm-hmm. I have a, I have a big... This is a big quote. Um, and this is... There's a part where... Um, there's a part in the book, and, and it's probably not too spoilery to say that she goes off her medication for a while... So it's a noticeably different as as all interesting schizophrenics do. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's noticeably different in in the tone and the context and the what the actual content of it. And um, this is this is a, a chunk from uh, I think toward the beginning of that part. 
against the ire and absence of Messieurs Risperdal, Depakeen, and Valium, all of whom I have neglected in the worst sort of fashion, leaving my gentlemen to languish, jilted, useless... Uselessly in Baltic amber speckled with carbonized ants and gnats. I put them away in the bathroom medicine cabinet. I put them away. They obscure the true things. Dr. Ogilvy knows that that need is not quite relief. That rats live on no evil star, which rats live on no evil star is a palindrome. She's told me as much. If I don't want to wind up like Rosemary Ann, which was her mother, I don't, but my sevens are just as fierce as my psychoactive paramours. I want to hear the real me, not the false, inconstant me whose truer thoughts are all boxed up and hidden in a suitcase beneath my bed where no one might get hurt by sentences honed sharp as razors. <clears throat> I'm only cutting myself off at the knees. Yeah. She gets a little crazy. That, that, yeah, that, that whole... It's a pretty long section of the book. And it's pretty goddamn nuts. <laughs> and yeah, um, I'm just yeah. gonna throw out two more quick ones because I feel like we're going on way too long with with uh, yeah. this episode. Um, this is what I just thought. I don't know. It's just something that was just. It's perfectly written and it, it's funny. And it's maybe one of the only funny moments in this whole book. My grandmother called those hats coolie hats, but also told me I couldn't call them that because it was racist. <laughs> I think that's just awesome. <laughs> and, um. This is not funny at all, but um, I've never liked quiet houses. They always seem to be waiting for something. Oh, that's freaky, dude. That is some good shit right there. All right, I'm going to go. Can I'm just going to rapid fire three really quick ones. Mm-hmm. Um, I've only, uh, I'm not going to do setup for any of them. The first one, I've always felt a certain variety of manipulation is required of artists, painters, sculptors, writers, filmmakers, etc. But only a few become or start off as sadists. Mm-hmm. Knowing a lot of artists, I feel there's a lot of truth in that statement. <laughs> um, this is something that I really identified with as a book reviewer. But since there are many Boston poets I've never heard of, that means next to nothing, doesn't it? I live here and work in a bookstore, but that hardly seems to matter. It's no protection against ignorance. I can't tell you how many times someone has said, Oh, have you read this? And I've said, No. Yeah, no kidding. I stopped caring. <laughs> All right, and uh, one more. One does not find closure, resolution. One is never unhaunted, no matter how much self-help happy talk purveyors of pop psychology are mo- and motivational speaking ladle on. I know that. Which is really, really dark. But uh, I thought it was cool. The only other thing of interest, I'm not going to bother looking it up. I think she actually used Linus from um, Peanut's last name, then Pelt. Yeah. Yeah, she absolutely yeah. did. I, I didn't know he had a last name. <laughs> I think we could go on with quotes for quite a while. I've probably got about ten more that I'd really like to use, but I just, mm-hmm. yeah, we're, we're going really long with this, so we should probably move on. Yep. Let's uh, let's do wrap ups. Would you like to go first? Sure. Um, although <laughs> this is probably going to end on a darker note for it. Um, I knew absolutely nothing about this book going into it, except for the title being "The Drowning Girl," so um, I had no idea what to expect. And right off the bat was hit with um, paranoid schizophrenia. So at that point, I kind of suspended all expectations and decided that if I wanted to actually get the best out of this book, I was just going to have to take it for whatever it gave me. Um, Probably that was a good idea because it's really, really weird. Uh, Like Livia said, there's times where um, the narrator is kind of third person omniscient sometimes the narrator's just talking to herself sometimes she's retelling stuff that happens in the past and it's just all it's it's an unconventional format um as far as the content goes the writing is just goddamn spectacular i could read like i said i've got another dozen quotes easily that i want to say because i just love the way that she crafts like the written word it's fantastic um as for the story, I, I'm kind of a sucker for this kind of story where it kind of it takes um, a story of a person and it weaves in some historical elements, the arts and culture and things like that, and takes the relevance of those things and kind of infuses them into what's going on with the characters. I love that kind of stuff. The There's a book I read not too long ago called The Shadow of the Wind, and it's all about, you know... Um, 
I'm not going to go on too long about it, but um, it has a, it is a very similar feel to it, and I'm just a big sucker for those types of things. Um, so, really, uh, and then the horror element. I know Livius will fight me on this, but it was a damn creepy story. Not only from the you know the parts where she's talking about these fairy tales and 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 these really kind of gruesome. Um, real life stories of, of people dying and being murdered and stuff but also like like Livius actually mentioned was the psychological element of like just the terror of knowing that you can't trust your mind if you're if you have this affliction of, you know that she has and that's that's I mean if there's if there's one thing I mean I, I, I can't think of anything scarier than than being in a situation where you can't trust your mind or or your body because those that's part of you so if you're the problem that's really freaky to me um so just everything worked in this book for me i thought it was a great story and um i just liked everything about it so i'm going big i'm gonna go four and a half stars for this one i was really excited at the premise of reading the the bram stoker award-winning book for uh for this year and thoughts that uh you know the drowning girl that it could have you know could really be very different and very very scary so it was very different uh, i'll give it that um, she is a very 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 solid writer that addresses great concepts that are all um from real life they're all true or factual depending i guess on how you look at it um the story itself was messy and hard hard to follow um through a lot of the book i'm, I'm really still not clear on what happened towards the end of this book i'll, I'll be honest um, I kind of got the feeling I wasn't going to be clear. I think the narrator tells us at one point that you may get through the story and still not be really sure what's what, and she's correct. Um, although Rob and I liked a lot of the same concepts, I think that I differ in the fact that I wanted the story to be creepier. We're, we're talking about a ghost story here, and I've read good ghost stories that were really creepy, and this just unfortunately wasn't one of them. Um, I don't know if my review or my rating is going to suffer a little bit from having expected a big horror story and not feeling not feeling like I like I got that exactly. Um, I, I probably think higher of this book overall than I'm going to rate it. Um, and part of the reason is that a lot of things I liked were just concepts that weren't really fully um, that they weren't delivered. It was kind of like a retelling of things that you know. There's great stuff in there, but it's the same stuff. Like I said, I listened to a podcast that covered you know, half of the great things from the story in a 30 minute talk. So, um, I didn't hate it. I mean, there's a lot of things to like, I just, overall the story wasn't there and that's what I read a book for is the actual story itself. So I'm going to go with two stars on this. Wow. Yeah. Which are my two stars is it was okay. I didn't hate this book. <laughs> we, um, we were totally flip flopped Dr. Sleep in this book. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Can I just tell you that I found this interesting? Cause of course, after finishing this book, what I have to do, I go, the hell were the Brom Stoker people thinking? <laughs> so, so I, I go on their website and I'm kind of reading a little bit about the, how the Brom Stoker Award um, is is picked and nominated and, and whatever. But I came across this this these two lines that are just great. To ameliorate the competitive nature of any award system, the Brom Stoker Awards are given in quotes for superior achievement, not for best of the year. So. I, I'm a little confused uh, on what that means exactly. So um, it's not it's not a superior achievement because it didn't outsell you know anything basically. So it's not that achievement. It's um, it, it has reviews. I mean, it has you know has got Rob. You, were, you said you were looking at them, like forty five reviews. Something like thirty I mean, to thirty five to forty. Yeah, which is which is sizable for you know a small book. Um, it just seems kind of odd because they're saying, it's almost like they're defending themselves against like if you don't think it's really good, we're not picking a best up, we're picking outstanding achievement, and I'm not really sure what that means. If they're addressing the fact that she pulled off writing a book by a girl that's crazy, you know, the the narrator being crazy, then yeah, I think that that was probably a very very good achievement. I just don't, you know what I mean? It's just kind of a weird. Well, the achievement could be like winner of. X number of awards. It could be critical acclaim. It could be any number of things. Yeah, like, I guess they're just not very specific on how you win this award. Huh. So let's get Ram Stoker on the phone and see what he has to say about. It. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. We should. We should see if we can get him on. He wrote a couple good horror books. <laughs> 
He wrote now. He wrote a short story. Its name eludes me, but Amanda Gowan mentioned it to me, I believe, on Facebook in a conversation we were having um, that I read that was really goddamn creepy. I remember it's about uh, rats uh, in a house. I don't remember what it was called though. Yeah, I remember her mentioning that. Yeah, that rings a bell. Speaking of Amanda Gowan, <laughs> this might just like I don't know. All right, so this might end a friendship. I don't know, and and I, I mean just like no harm in it at all because I really dug this this narrator but for some reason I had Amanda Gowan in mind as being the main <laughs> the main character to this I know it sounds awful because the it's a crazy person. lesbian <laughs> um, but I mean just like <laughs> when I said that I meant the narrator just in case there was <laughs> right. any confusion yeah. <laughs> yeah you weren't accusing Amanda Gowan of being a crazy lesbian. Um, but, I mean, just, like, if you think about um, in the few times she's been on our podcast and mm-hmm. she's talking about, like, just the weirdest things, just really random things. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, really, the most damning evidence is the fact that we asked her where she would go in a zombie apocalypse, and without hesitating, she said Ted Nugent's house. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> I'm getting all defensive, but literally she was the person that was in my mind as this main character. So I hope she takes it as the compliment that it is. I would just like to say that I do not support you in this at all. No, <laughs> zero support for you in this. Amanda Gowan never even came to mind. <laughs> Very well. All right. What else we got? Um, a couple things, you know, um, I, I mentioned that I was going to be on this is horror, right? That episode is up. Yeah, it didn't take three months. This. No, it didn't. And the interesting thing about this episode is, um, I told you there was a lot of good content there. We talked about what really, you know, how they pick a best of, which kind of, you know, this Bram Stoker thing, this, in some ways, that conversation inspired me to reach out to the Bram Stoker Award winner for, for this week's book. Um, but man, those guys have managed to kind of tick some people off. There are some <laughs> unbalanced people, I think, <laughs> running around the UK, and that's... that's well, we These don't guys, want to take those people off as well. Well, but here's the thing. So there are quite a few people that have unfriended and blocked, um, you know, at, at least Michael and John that I know of, and maybe Dan as well, for comments that they made on that show. They've kind of picked fights with them on the on the website and, and on Facebook. I'm, I'm, you know, I was mentioned in a comment, and, you know, I commented, so I keep getting the notifications, and, man, there's some people that did not take negative a uh, negative review or I shouldn't even say negative but a not positive review of a book and really held it against these guys yeah I noticed some of the just like Facebook conversation and I don't know um, th- that is a true dilemma I guess as a reviewer that you don't want to I mean you want to what's the word I'm looking for be impartial right. unbiased and sometimes that means, like, you know, delivering news that someone might not want to hear. Well, yeah, I mean, and that's that's exactly it, is that as as a as anybody, so as us, and what, what do we do? You know, we, we kind of made a whole thing out of living off of other people's work and judging other people. But, you know, you can judge our podcast, that's fine. We put it out there, and we're kind of open to being judged, as is any writer that, that puts something out there. I mean... You know, who are those guys to review books? Who are we? Who's anybody? Who's the, the Horror Writers Association to pick a Bram Stoker Award winner? I mean, it's just people's opinions. <laughs> and if you don't like it, don't listen. Like, that, I don't I don't know how else to, you know. It's just, it's weird to see that because we've had the podcast now for two and a half years. And, you know, we've had some, we've, we've done some fairly negative reviews of, of books. And I've just never, I've never felt like we were being attacked. Like, in some ways, the guys at This Is Horror are. So, Solidarity Brothers, we're with you. That's all I'm saying. We got your backs. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, episode to listen to. So I encourage people to do so. It's rather lengthy. Set aside some time, but some great concepts covered in there, and then you can hear where all the controversy started. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I was going to go on, but I'm just going to move on to the next thing because we we are just going so long tonight. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's talk about Fifty Shades of Grey movie. I'm really excited about that. Yeah, we have a date to go see that, but um, it's probably not going to be made as soon as we thought because Charlie and whatever his name is, um, Jax from Sons of Anarchy, is no longer <laughs> no longer um, attached to this film. He has withdrawn due to the um, stringent schedule that he has with filming Sons of Anarchy. Well, I'll tell you the real reason. He listened to our last episode, our review of Dr. Sleep. 
and immediately reached out to Stephen King, and he's like, "So I hear you want me to be in the book. I mean, in the movie." Yes, you know this about? could be. Yes, yeah. this could be. I, I have to agree that, um, based on our recommendation, that's what he'll be doing. That just news hasn't broken yet, so you've heard it here first. Absolutely, um, we change Hollywood. That's how big we are. Here's here's what I think happened. I think women think that he's a really really hot guy. I think the women that read the book don't correlate him to Christian Grey, and I think that that finally got to him. Uh, kind of like Ben Affleck as Batman. <laughs> I think that there was a lot of that type of thing out there, and I think that might have bothered him, because um, this would be his first like big movie. I know he was just in... Uh, oh, um, the movie with Idris Elba, Space, Robots, Something, Water, I don't know, whatever. Pacific it was. Rim? It was in, that's it, yeah. But I think this is like his first leading starring role in like a hmm. big film. So yeah. I don't know if that's how he wants to. I don't think he wanted that backlash. But at any rate, he's not going to be running around, you know, with his little whip and handcuffs, his fuzzy handcuffs. <laughs> he's he's putting the gray pants back in the uh, in the closet. Yep, yep. Those ones that hang right at his hips. <laughs> All right, we gotta Enough. stop with the sexy talk. <laughs> and that, well, in a different in a different type of sexy, let's talk about. No, I'm just kidding. This is not sexy at all. Um, we we announced recently, um, Noir at the Bar in Indianapolis is coming up November 16th. It's a Saturday. Um, I just want to mention that again for anybody who maybe he didn't listen to the the previous episode. And there's a bit of an update. Um, I don't know. I don't think the venue is 100 percent settled, so we're not gonna talk about that. However. Scott Phillips is confirmed for the lineup, which makes this lineup just epic in so many ways. Scott Phillips, Jedediah Ayers, David James Keaton, Dan O'Shea, um, C.J. Edwards, Les Edgerton, and then maybe one or two uh, indie local authors as well. So um, that's a huge lineup, and uh, definitely very much looking looking forward to, to joining up down there. And actually, Les Edgerton <laughs> has been kind of promising on his website that we're going to do interviews with the authors at the event. So, um, I don't know what that's going to look like, but, uh, <laughs> oh, really? Okay. That's, that's good that's to know. Re- I was reading Les's website about, and, and he was like, yeah, and the book guy's going to be there. They're going to be interviewing people at the event. And I was like, are we <laughs> first? I heard about it. Thanks Les. Oh, yeah. Um, on a slightly, well, no, I guess quite on the exact same note. So I said, Keaton should read from spunk water. It looks like I made that happen. <laughs> um, I said Scott Phillips should come and read Rake. I'm pretty sure he's going to read all of Rake. Is there anything else you'd like to hear from any of these guys? Because I apparently can make that happen. I want to hear Dan O'Shea's Shakespeare thing that he talked about when we interviewed him. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Done. Let's make Done. that happen. It's like a Jedi mind trick. Like Edgerton is making us interview folks. We're going to make Dan O'Shea <laughs> read Shakespeare. Just anything that anybody wants, they just have to say it and it will happen. <laughs> Pretty much, man. That's how it works around here. So, yeah, I'm also very much looking forward to that. Um, yeah, that's in a month now. Yeah, it's coming up. Uh, we will be, as Livia's saying... Huh? Booked road trip. Uh, as Livia's saying at the end of the last episode, we will be on the road again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Um, one more thing I want to mention before we let folks go. So we kind of jokingly mentioned that we needed audition tapes to replace one of your co-hosts who might be, you know, um, Skyping across the pond for his next podcast um, thing. And uh, we've had one person. So I, I was really skeptical that anybody would send anything in. We have our first entry into the booked audition contest. Yeah. And, um, Dude didn't dip his toes. He dove <laughs> right in the deep end, man. Yeah, so, you know, we were debating, should we play it this episode? Maybe we'll play it next episode, because next episode we'll have an interlude. We've already gone kind of long on this, but I think we want to have them all in. So I think what we're going to do is maybe wait until we get one more, Rob, and then we'll kind of set a date. To let, right. You know what I mean? Because it's not for you and I to hop on and do 10 minutes is nothing. We're set up to do this. We do this every week. You know, for other people, this might be a little bit more of a daunting uh task so um we've got one so far this guy's in the lead i don't even know if we should actually say his name so we're not going to say his name currently we have revealed gender i will i'll tell you who it's not it's not kevin lynn helmick who on facebook (laughs) (laughs) the other day i think he said something along the lines of that he's not capable of making an audition tape which um yeah disqualifies him 
Yes, yes. So, and you know who else is disqualified? <laughs> who? Nah, I'm not going to say it because we're creating some some hatred on the internet from at least one of the folks we said need not apply for this contest. Follow Book Podcast. Follow Book Podcast. FBP. That's our new. That's our new uh, hashtag slow slogan. Not to be confused with FCJR, which means something totally. <laughs> that's different. right. Oh, you know what? Before we go, um, Livius was just talking about this is horror, and there's one thing that came up. Um, they decided that they're going to read the book anthology and do a review of it, which is awesome. And so far, the, the responses we've seen from them and the stories that they have read, um, we're not going to be taking them off our friends list on Facebook. So I'm very excited about that. Um, and they even floated the idea. Now, logistically, this might be difficult, but like... Um, and probably they were inspired when we had David and James Keaton on to uh, talk about Fish Bites Cop when our review with that. But like, um, yeah, we they they floated the idea of incorporating us in some way into their review. So we'll see what comes of that. But at the very least, they are reading it and they will be doing a review of it, which is very exciting. It's funny that you mentioned that because that was my exact thought. Unless they don't like it, then I have to block them on Facebook after I say negative things about their podcast. And <laughs> be honest, you know me pretty well, right? That's um, yeah. likely to happen, right? Oh, yeah. You're like one of the most vindictive, That's spiteful right. people. Yeah. That's right. So I actually looked up how to block British folk on Facebook. <laughs> Just in case it was different than blocking people in the U.S. So Domestic, I am prepared. Yeah. I am prepared. All so, right, good. Uh, yeah, no, very excited that those guys are going to uh, to dedicate a review to uh, to the book. If we manage to logistically get on um, the podcast with them or not, I'm very, very excited and very honored that they would take out uh, take out the amount of time. I mean, our book's 25 stories, man. It's not a short book. So uh, I'm very honored pages. that they're taking, taking up that, uh, that uh, whatever they're taking. <laughs> I don't even know what they're taking up to do it, but whatever, the time, I guess, <laughs> to do that. And this episode's gone on for way too long. The scary thing is they're reading the ebook version, which includes a story by me. So I have, there's a very right. real threat that I could very personally be like offended by something that they say in a review. So this is going to get interesting. Very, very much looking forward. Maybe we'll talk about that more next time. Next time it's an interlude episode because we need a break from these books. I'm actually reading, I'm reading something by Kevin Lynn Helmick right now. All right. Um, That's way too much for this episode. Until next time, I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Keep reading. Glory.